and welcome to WMMT's Mountaintop. I'm your host for the first half of our show, Parker Hobson. Coming up, given world events, we'll hear a special piece from the WMMT archives, an interview with a Ukrainian coal miner. But first, we have a story from a little bit closer to home in Perry County. Stay tuned. So unfortunately, given the statistics, if you live in eastern Kentucky, the odds are pretty good that you know someone who's dealing with the disease type 2 diabetes, or some kind of issue with high blood sugar. But something health professionals say many people don't know is that diabetes can be managed, or even prevented completely, and often just by making some changes to your routine. And so back last summer, after a whole year of lockdowns, social distance, disruption, and stress, the Perry County Diabetes Coalition had the idea to try a new program that would bring people in Perry County together around managing and preventing diabetes. From our ongoing series, Prevent Diabetes EKY, we start today with this story. So my papas, um, every morning when I go to run, there's a shelter and they're sitting there in their shelter drinking their McDonald's coffee, probably having their, I imagine they're eating egg McMuffins, but they cheer me on. And, you know, it's just, you got this, girl, you can do it. If you're trying to make a change in your habits, especially when it comes to your health, professionals say it helps a lot to have support. For Becky Stacy of Hazard, sometimes that support is sitting right there waiting for her at the Perry County Park from a group she calls her papaws. You know, it's kind of like having somebody in my corner, even though I don't even really know them, but they cheer me on every time I go around to lap. You know, and if one of them's missing when I go on one day, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're missing a papaw. For Becky, who spoke with WMMT last fall, getting physical activity of some kind has recently become a standard part of her everyday routine, whether it's a run or a hike or even just a walk. But while being active is, of course, important for all of us, for Becky, the stakes are a little different. Becky has type 2 diabetes, which can have serious health consequences if it's left unmanaged. But the good news is diabetes can be controlled, or even prevented in the first place. So my A1C at one time was 12, which is astronomical. I do have it down to 6 right now, but I, I have to watch everything that goes in my body, and I have to make sure that I'm doing my exercises. And I know it's cliche, but it, it takes a lifestyle change. It really, really does. So if you haven't heard of it, that A1C number that Becky just mentioned is important to diabetes. It's a measure of how much glucose or sugar is in your blood. And health professionals say two of the biggest ways to lower your A1C are just what Becky's doing, getting regular physical activity and being more conscious of what you eat. And you don't necessarily have to make huge changes to make a difference in your A1C. For exercise, it could be as small as getting in the habit of getting up and moving around your house when commercials come on, if you're watching TV. And the same goes for eating. In fact, for Becky, she's done more extreme diets before, but found them hard to stick with. She said she's had the most success with smaller changes. I do eat low carb, but I, I do add in some, some carbs, good carbs. And I make sure that I balance with the exercise. I make sure that I'm not, you know, at one time I was drinking lots of diet soda, which even without the sugar, it's still not good for you. So I switched it out for water. 
guacamole with vegetables instead of with chips. I've done that. Just those kind of small changes have made a big difference for me uh, in terms of being able to maintain and not fall off the wagon again. And being able to stay on the wagon has paid off. Within some six to seven months of starting to eat healthier and getting more regular exercise, Becky was seeing results. I've probably lost 30 pounds since February. I'd like to lose about 30 more if I can, but my cholesterol looks good, my A1C looks good, you know, the, my pulse rate. Everything has changed just because of these little changes that I've made. While Becky's perseverance is definitely unique, she's hardly alone in facing diabetes, especially here in the mountains. Rates of type 2 in eastern Kentucky are higher than the state and national averages, and even more local people are dealing with pre-diabetes, a condition which basically means your blood sugar is high enough that you're on the road to type 2 unless you can make some changes. There are people out there trying to help, though. And in Perry County, where Becky lives, a local group, the Perry County Diabetes Coalition, got together last year to see if there might be a way to reach people in the county when it comes to diabetes, especially in the midst of the pandemic. Last fall, folks started talking about it'd be really good to kind of see what we can do because we're starting to see some of the effects of folks who haven't been able to go to their doctor because of COVID. This is Jennifer Weber, who also lives in Hazard. Jennifer works with the nonprofit group, the Community Farm Alliance, and she's also a member of the Perry County Diabetes Coalition. So when our coalition got back together, it was really important for us to find some ways, aside from what we could do on social media, to get the community involved in diabetes management and prevention. What Jennifer and the coalition landed on was trying something new a program they called the Healthy Perry Challenge. It was a six-week program in the summer of 2021 that encouraged people, as they went about their day, to set goals for managing those two huge components of lower blood sugar, physical activity and healthy eating. The idea behind it was that folks were setting their own goals based on what they needed, but in general, getting at least 30 minutes of exercise five times a week, eating five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, and, you know, drinking 64 ounces of water. And part of that was encouraging folks to walk or be active wherever they could, but we encouraged folks to walk the trails um, or hike the trails that we have in the Perry County Park. We encouraged folks to go to the Perry County Farmer's Market to get fresh green beans and tomatoes and squash and all those good vegetables and post about it post their healthy meals, post themselves on the trail, uh, all sweaty and whatever from our hike. And then we gave prizes at the end for folks who had done those things. Because it's possible to have prediabetes or even type 2 without even knowing it, they opened up the Healthy Perry Challenge to everyone in the community, whether or not they'd been diagnosed with high blood sugar. And while prizes were a part of the program, Jennifer says that maybe even a bigger help to making a change to your routine is knowing you're not doing it alone. You know, changing habits is hard. <laughs> I always think that if you've got someone that you can relate to because they are in a similar situation to you, whether it be they're from the same hometown or they're going through some of the same health stuff, 
getting that peer-to-peer support and that information is, I think, just really hits home a lot more and is a lot more motivating than an expert telling you what to do. You were supposed to get your so many fruits a day, so many vegetables a day. They gave you a checklist, so much exercise per week. Here again is Becky Stacy. Becky participated in the Healthy Perry Challenge, and the program's daily goals around exercise and healthy eating fit right in with the goals she'd already been setting as a part of her own health journey. I was already kind of doing the things I should be doing, but I think it made me more accountable to make sure that, you know, I'd put the hashtag on there and I'd put my picture on there and say, hey, I did this today, I did this much exercise, and also to encourage other people to do it as well. We encourage folks to have fun with it. Becky Stacy, who I know you talked to, did a lot of posting. She got into it and would challenge some of the other folks involved in it to get on a hike or cook something up, which is probably the best form of <laughs> interaction online. Hey, I'm up on the trail. Where are you? There were probably two or three people that I was competing against every day, and it was more of just a friendly competition. It was people I already knew, and we would encourage one another. And, uh, in fact, one of the people that joined was my niece, and so we were a little bit competitive with one another, but we also cheered each other on. But we loved posting our pictures and doing the hashtag and all that stuff. That was a lot of fun. One of the places Becky would post photos from during the challenge was a new set of hiking trails at the Perry County Park in Hazard. In fact, since beginning to get healthier, Becky has fallen deeply in love with hiking, to the point where she's now doing things like 14-mile solo hikes to the tops of mountains. And she even started her own hiking group on Facebook, where she's built a community around local hiking and sharing about her health journey. But she got her start, in part, by finding this new set of trails right in her town at the Perry County Park. I actually knew nothing about it, and when I decided to try to get healthy and I started walking at the track, and one day I saw a sign that said hiking trail, I had no idea. She says the first day she tried the trails, she made it maybe a tenth of a mile. Well, that would have been ascending a tenth of a mile, and I was done. (laughs) You know, but the next day I went back, and, and I guess the thing is, as a child in eastern Kentucky, one of the things that we did was we played in the hills a lot, and so... I thought, why, why can't I do that now? Why, as an adult, do I think that I'm not allowed to do that? So I, I found that joy again, I guess, and every day I would go back and just try to go a little bit farther, even if I had to stop and rest. And it's made a big difference in my blood sugar readings, a big difference. And even if Becky discovered these trails almost by accident, for Jennifer Weaver, it was no accident at all. In order to get healthy, you have to have healthy options available. And so the new trail system Becky found is just one part of a larger effort around Hazard that several organizations are working on to connect people with ways to get healthy. Whether that's building trails to make exercising accessible, starting a sliding scale program at the Perry County Farmer's Market to make healthy food affordable, or putting on programs like the Healthy Perry Challenge. There's a lot of ways that I think we can look at health. I mean, obviously the physical health, there's mental health, there's the connection of being socially engaged with other people, there's having financial health in your budget. And so 
you know, this walking challenge is one aspect of that. The work that we're doing around local food is another aspect of that. It's a community intervention, and it's about getting our entire community healthy. This first run of the Healthy Perry Challenge had 13 participants. Jennifer does say she was a little disappointed in the turnout, but she still considers the program a success for its first year and hopes they can build on it in years to come. I hope we do it again, and I hope we can get more. But even though we only had about 13 folks, I mean, that's 13 more folks who were working on diabetes management through activity and healthy eating, and who knows how many folks they are impacting, either by their stories or by the fact that they're the person cooking. And so whoever they're cooking for is going to eat more vegetables and lean proteins and whatever the case may be, too. So I am pleased with the first time we did this and our impact. For her part, Becky says she's found a set of lifestyle changes that are sustainable for her to keep her diabetes under control. And no matter what, with how Becky has shared her health journey online for others to see during the Healthy Perry Challenge and otherwise through her Facebook group, Jennifer thinks she's already done a ton to serve as a role model for others in the community. She is a role model. She was a kindergarten teacher. She was my daughter's kindergarten teacher. That's how I met her. And so I think there are a lot of folks who see what she does and look up to her. And I just love her. So <laughs> let me gush more about Becky. And I still do have problems. I still eat too many processed foods. I'm working on that, but as far as exercise, I just generally get up an hour earlier and I'll go do my run and then I'll do maybe a hike that morning. I just, I say to myself, you're going to die if you don't do it. I mean, I know that sounds horrible, but diabetes will kill me if I don't try, if I don't take care of myself or I will, you know, start to lose limbs or digits and and that kind of thing. And and it scares me. And so I don't know. That's what I'd like to see is just as people in our area become educated about it and work on prevention, not wait until, oh, you're diabetic. Well, we don't have to let that happen, you know. Even though heredity does play a part in it, we can still make some changes that'll drastically reduce our chances. For more information on hiking and outdoor adventures of all kinds in Perry County, check out the group The Pathfinders of Perry County on Facebook. And to find Becky Stacy's hiking group on Facebook, just search for Becky's Hiking Adventures. And finally, for more stories of preventing and managing type 2 diabetes in eastern Kentucky, check out our project website, preventdiabeteseky.org. In a different kind of story, Ukraine is of course fighting for its life right now after being invaded by Russia in late February. But even though it's a world away, Ukraine has some common history with Appalachia, including a huge coal industry and then hard times after coal's decline. At one time, Ukraine was the third largest coal producer in Europe. But starting with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the transition away from the socialized mines of the USSR and into private enterprise, 
Ukraine's coal industry went into a tailspin, with hundreds of thousands losing jobs, especially in the eastern coal mining region known as the Donbas. And the economic troubles and instability caused by coal's decline were part of the backdrop for when the Donbas was invaded and taken over by Russian-backed separatists back in 2014, which in many ways was a prelude to Russia's current war in Ukraine. In any case, even though the details are different, the need to make sure miners and coal communities are cared for after the industry shrinks is something countries all over the world have faced. And so up next, and in solidarity with Ukraine, we bring you this special piece from the WMMT archives, an interview with Ukrainian coal miner Valentin Chukalov, who talks about the hard times in Ukraine's coal industry after the collapse of the USSR. This piece first aired on WMMT back in 2000, and Tom Hansel has more. This is a WMMT news feature. Coal is black in color, sitting in, in the sea. But to produce it, it somewhat changes its color because there's blood tint to it, irrespective of what political system is. Valentin Chukalov is from the Donbass, a coal mining region in eastern Ukraine. I met him while accompanying a delegation of mine safety officials on a mission to Ukraine. Coal is in Valentin's blood. His father worked restoring mines that had been destroyed during the Nazi occupation of World War II. Today, he's deputy director of Partners for Economic Reform, a group that provides Western assistance to the post-Soviet mining industry. I asked Valentin how long he had worked in coal. First time I started my career as a miner, right off the high school. At the age of 17, I failed my entrance exams to the university and I started my work as a miner in the city of Makayevka, Ukraine. I was a, uh, a helper in handling materials in the underground, like timber, delivery, and all that. I was drafted to the Soviet army at the age of 19. I served there, I returned back, resumed my uh, work as a miner. At that time, I was uh, an underground timber man. And it went on for half a year, and then I was uh, admitted to the university in Donetsk, Department of Foreign Languages. I studied there for four years, graduated, and became a teacher of English at the university. I had been working there for three years, and then I quit the university because of the low pay and had a family of a wife and two kids to support. So I decided to go back to work as a miner, where I stayed for 10 years. And then, because of the f disintegration of the USSR and broadening contacts with the West, there was a big team of American uh, coal industry people who came down here to, uh, to evaluate the situation with the coal industry in Ukraine visiting different mines and they happened to be in my own city, native city, and they just summoned me up and I worked for them as an interpreter for a while. Chukalov explains how the coal industry was managed under the Soviet system. It was not market-oriented economy, it was distribution economy. So what coal we mined and where it goes after 
it was not so much concern of a mine management because all of us were state employees from a coal minister down to a face worker. There didn't exist any concept of market economy. Of course, the government did take care of the miners. There were a lot of uh, social benefits provided, like near-free kindergartens for their children, vouchers to go to resort places. That, you know, social, socialist system uh, about caring about people. So the status of miner was high, and it was a very reputable position to be a miner. Well paid compared with other uh, groups, and thus, uh, that's why it was bloody business all right still, but prestige. In the Soviet era, coal mines were run for employment, not for profit. As a result, most mines in Ukraine are losing money and rely on government subsidies to stay open. Valentin says that the economic transition brought about by Ukrainian independence presents serious challenges to the coal industry. Nowadays, as we transit to the market economy, uneconomic mines are to be shut down, and they're the majority. That is, out of uh, about 300 mines, coal mines in Ukraine, about 200 are to be closed. And then uh, a social issues to be addressed. What to do with laid-off miners? Right now, there's about 750,000 people working in the industry, directly or indirectly. A mine, as an enterprise, took care of so many social uh, assets. Kindergartens, villages, hospitals, schools, and other stuff. So, what do with them? Mine closed, who will take over? Municipalities? They don't have funds either. According to Valentin, part of the problem lies in the difference between government policy and practices. To declare that we're striving to get to the market-oriented economy doesn't mean to implement that. And what's being done right now in Ukraine, it's only slogans, but no actual deeds. What is a market-oriented economy? Private business should be in place. And if you just have some private shops, but the basic industry are not, industries are not privatized, or there's no plan or program how to do it, you are moving from a distribution economy to a market economy, and you're stuck midway. What possible results can you have? Deterioration and the regression. And this economic transition has hit the Ukrainian miners especially hard. Miners in this country are driven to the extreme or near extreme point because they are not paid for so many months back wages. And they don't care about this uh, concepts, market economy, non-market economy, distribution economy. They are just not paid. That's the basic bottom line they just at the brink of a survival issue, physical survival. They are not paid. How can they just make a living? 
no, no money to buy food just to take care of your kids. That's something very, very distressing. People that are now in the uh, legislative power have either to change their mentality or go. So, difficult to forecast. I want things to happen, positive things to happen. And I feel that, I, I hope that uh, the common reason with common people would take over. Otherwise, well, I, must, I may say that as uh, one of the characters of a, uh, Bernard Shaw place said, this country is going to dogs, which I hate to say, and I hate to see, and I hope it will never happen, because we have industrious people, smart people, with a big intellectual potential that should not go in vain. Valentin Chukolov, Deputy Director of Partners in Economic Reform in Donetsk, Ukraine. I asked Valentin what message he would like to pass on to miners in the Kentucky coal fields. Well, best way to, to, to have such a swapping of information would be me being in Kentucky in a beer bar with miners, then I can talk with them. That's right. Radio transmittance is good as anything. <laughs> For WMMT, I'm Tom Hansel. Again, that story first aired on WMMT back in 2000. For more stories of coal communities both near and far tackling the question of what to do after coal declines, check out Tom Hansel's project and documentary, After Coal, at aftercoal.com. And that's it for the first half of our show. Stay tuned after the break for more. Music today was by Glenn Jones and Don Bykoff from the Free Music Archive and by the Dutch Cove String Band from Apple Shop's very own June Apple Records. You can hear more at juneapplerecordings.bandcamp.com and that's Apple spelled A-P-P-A-L. For WMMT, I'm Parker Hobson.